Hey everyone, thanks for joining. Today I'm speaking with Vishnavi Sundar. Vishnavi is a filmmaker, writer, activist, and a feminist. And she has a documentary out called Dysphoric about gender ideology and how that harms women. And she did a real, I saw her in an interview with Benjamin Boyce talking about this, especially how it affects women in India. <clears throat> and this is something I've been speaking about as well a little bit. So Hi, Vishnavi, thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so like I mentioned, your your documentary, Dysphoric, and then what I see you tweeting about how gender ideology coming out of the West and I guess the U.S. is actually harming women's rights in India. So if you wouldn't mind getting into that a little bit, maybe talking about your documentary, then we can just go from there. Sure. Dysphoric came about because uh, I had made a film before Dysphoric on workplace sexual harassment that working women face in India. And uh, that was called, But What Was She Wearing? Um, I mean, it took me about three years to make that film. Um, it basically has women from all strata of society, you know, the economic society, women who are, say, representative of manual scavenging, construction work, housework, and, you know, the CEO of a company and so on and so forth. So he had representation from basically all strata of society. I'd finished making that film and it was supposed to be screening in the US. Uh, and I think about a week before the screening, the organization that was supposed to host it let me know that they are no longer interested in screening it because apparently I tweeted something that was transphobic and that it goes against their, um, you know, their core principle or whatever. So they did not even ask me what I thought about it. It was just a unilateral decision that they had made, which basically removed me from screening the film and talking about the issues that Indian women face, which also something they claim to work on. You know, they seem, they seem to call themselves a grassroots organization that's supposed to be working for the same population that the film was uh, talking about. So that got canceled. And, and I was wondering, what is that tweet that these people are so pissed off about? Those tweets were basically me saying, you know, men are not, uh, men must not be allowed in women only sex segregated spaces like prisons, or men must not participate in women's sports and something that appears to me like common sense apparently offends a significant percentage of people or whatever. So that sort of gave me, um, I mean, I, I kind of got arrogant and I'm like, you really, you, you want to cancel me for this? So I'm going to go ahead and tell you what more I can say, what more I can tell you about this and how bad, how wrong you are to cancel me. So then I started researching about gender ideology in general and was just very curious to see if it has infiltrated in India as much as you know because I'm very privy to what's happening in the west because you can see that it's in your face you go social go on social media you you, you can't miss it so I was interested to see what Indians were doing and I deliberately posted something that I know would sort of touch a nerve and then the, the you know the teenagers just came parading around my timeline and started calling me all kinds of things and it was fascinating how if you forget about the fact that I'm Indian and these people are Indian, the whole conversation could have been placed in any part of the Western world, you know, word to word, even the swears, even the things that they were calling me, um, kiss my ass, 
his something, you know, turf, in this thing, this thing, that thing, you know, all those things were just very, very similar to the abuses that the women in the West were receiving from, you know, the gender right, trans rights activists. So then that was just like one last uh, push for me to go ahead and make this film. Um, however, this foric is in no shape or form a, a, a film that puts anybody in a corner or, you know, questions anybody or calls people out or anything like that. It's a film that basically lays out facts for you to watch and make up your own mind as to what you think about the situation. And me being an Indian and me being concerned about the rights of women and girls in India, I wanted the whole conversation about gender dysphoria in the world. I wanted to bring it back home and talk about how it's affecting women and girls over here. While the film does not have any Indian interviewees, I was the person who was talking about the situation in India and how I was when I was growing up and how gender ideology, though back then I did not know this is what one would call it later on. I talked about my body dysmorphia, how I hated my body growing up and what is the reason behind it and why it is unique that a woman or a girl in India would feel this way because we already have like a history of violence against women situation in India going on. Why wouldn't a girl in India want to become a boy if an opportunity was presented to her and things like that. So that's how I brought it back home. And um, the film is, is a game changer for me because that then created a, a, a new experience for me. So on the one hand, there were people who really appreciated it, who thought that it, it, it helped them because I brought it all together in one place so they could watch it and they could understand, they could tie all their pieces together, things that they didn't know before, it was all there in the film, whatever. And on the other side, whatever few friends that I did have who did not confront me on this, after I made this for it, realized that they don't want to have anything to do with me at all. There was no even uh, a situation where there was good faith conversation, where they could meet me halfway, we could discuss about what is it that they were objecting to? so that we could sit down and have a chat about it like adults do like things used to be you know 10 years from now uh, uh, before now but that didn't happen not only did these people not watch my film who I thought were my friends there were people who heard about me and my reputation um, and they, they would say to friends who would recommend the film to them that oh that bitch I'm not going to watch her film now the person who said that has never interacted with me, does not know my work, does not know what I stand for, and more importantly, has not watched it for her to, you know, make that, yeah. take, assume that position. So that was interesting. But then it's been a year since this work, and I know that as many people who've been pissed off about it, it's still a very small and significant number compared to how much the film has indeed helped, uh, you know, it, the film has definitely helped a lot of youngsters, a lot of mothers, a lot of um, academicians whose uh, students were all on the whole gender ideology train and they didn't know how to deal with it. So um, I'm pretty pleased with the way um, it has sort of helped a lot of people, even though I lost a lot of friends along the way, but that doesn't matter to me. What is also sad is that while it did help a lot of people, I know for a fact that the film could have done even better. Okay, could have had more views, had more comments, had more media exposure, which it didn't at all. So not a lot of people wanted to write about it because it's a, a touchy subject and things like that. Because, okay, I, 
like my, I was born in India. My family comes from there and, you know, I go, and so, I mean, like they did have kind of like a British back education system, but I'm just wondering, like, how did Western gender ideology started coming into the Academy in India? Like I, I've, okay. I've seen it in other places. I, I did some work in Afghanistan and in 2015, the one, I can't remember what university it was university in Kabul, but they were basically teaching Gail Rubin and Judith Butler. I'm like, Afghanistan doesn't need that, you know, but that was coming in because of the NGOs and all that were there because of NATO. But how did this start coming into the academy in India? Like, how did that make it in? Well, India has a reputation of aping the West from time immemorial. You know, anything that happens in the Western world, it's just blanketly assumed to be good and blanketly assumed that, uh, you know, it's something that one needs to... uh, read more about or, you know, find out more about and see if it can be uh, evangelically distributed in the country. So there are also a lot of Indian students that study in, you know, Ivy League schools abroad and, you know, the kind of exposure that they get. And these are the people that come back to India and assume the position of, say, editors in a leading news magazine or uh, become lawmakers, policymakers, appear for, uh, you know, government positions and things like that. So basically, it's it's a different argument. It's a different discussion whether India needs this at all. Obviously, it doesn't because we have our own issues to deal with. It's deal, issues that uh, after the British left us, we haven't still uh, dealt with. You know, there are things that one could focus their attention on, but no. Um, another angle to look at it is India is also very homophobic. Uh, we are uh, like strict adherents of stereotype, gender stereotype, roles, femininity, masculinity, and things like that. We sort of give a lot of importance to uh, a very heteronormative uh, setup. So Section 377 got, you know, sort of ratified only in 2018. That's just like three or four years ago, where now you could be homosexual and not be considered a culprit or a, or a felon in this country. It was just 2018, in 2018. And that seemed to create a sort of uh, panic in the policymakers in India because that would then mean that people who have same-sex attraction can then go on to, say, marry or be public about their uh, sexual orientation and things like that. Now, that does not bode well with the reputation that India has created, the heteronormative uh, idea that the, in, that the country has created. So. Uh, through backdoor lobbying, they went ahead and started focusing on the T of the LGBT more than anything else. So the 377 became like a foot in the door for people to go ahead and hyper-focus on the T aspect of it, where lesbians and gays just basically are not there. They're not there. They were given the whole 377 thing like a breadcrumb for a dog, you know, something like that, just for the sake of uh, keeping them quiet for a while. But all along, the agenda seemed to have been to promote the rights of transgender people or uh, uphold gender ideology and things like that. The Constitution, uh, you know, even as recent as 2019, when we had the 103rd Amendment of uh, the whole, whole Constitution, the protected categories are, you know, religion, um, caste, and sex you know, not gender or gender identity. It continues to remain sex. And even then, 
there are a lot of laws that got passed in support of transgender people and things like that in that document they go on and conflate sex and gender to suit their convenience as and when uh, you know whatever however they use it uh, it seems to you know benefit them in some way or another so india clearly does not need gender ideology but it just seems like uh, a mass infiltration of western ideas mixed with our own pre-existing issues like homophobia and the need for a heterosexual world uh, that we have created for the longest period of time i think all these things seem to have played a role and also you know the whole idea that anything that an american or a british person does you've got to sort of do it like that's how popular culture comes into the country as well right you watch some hollywood movie you want to you want to sort of aspire to be that you want to aspire to be special you want to aspire to be different so you have some friends who are in the us they're coming out as gender queer you're immediately curious what is this because that person comes out and literally the entire world is on their uh, profile appreciating them commenting about how brave they are so they want a piece of that for themselves as well so then the conversation started happening over here and it didn't help the fact that it didn't help that we have this whole hijra and the eunuch situation going from many years ago now that became like a uh, like an added um, what shall we call it added issue in the ongoing uh, you know influx of gender identity now the whole existence of hijra became a thing where oh well we have had you know gender queerness from so many centuries ago we are one of those people we are the pioneers in that so of course uh, kids can be non binary and take puberty blockers and hormones it is absolutely normal there is nothing weird about it at all because hijras have existed for 100 years that seems to be the rationalization and mind you these are all people who have not heard about these hijras or how they are queer or any of that until this point uh, until the time when the americans or the brits started speaking about hijras the eunuchs and the two spirits and you know uh, the okay a couple of things on that like the when you talk about you know how they love anything comes from the west and i just it was at the end of the 90s or the early 2000s i'd gone back to visit and it was in november and there were signs all over hyderabad that were saying you know thanksgiving day sales and i'm looking at my car and i'm like Wait a minute, that's an American harvest festival. What you know, what you know, what's that going on in in India? Like so like yeah. when you're talking you know, about what what's that what's that um thing where you have mass um Halloween? No, yeah, of course Halloween's been there, but what 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 Black Friday? Okay, Black We've Friday got- is the day after Thanksgiving, so that's when they have all the sales. Yeah, exactly. We've got discounts in Indian stores selling Indian products during Black Friday as well. But, we've got all of that another reason of this could also be the fact that corporations have become multinational right so there are a lot of companies that are american based and uh, have offices set up in india so the policies that the american offices kind of uphold can kind of permeates into their other uh, branches as well so because india watches so much of hollywood and you know they think that's how you can appear cool in a social circle you know you the strength of your uh, iq relies on you know your how many superheroes of marvel and whatever do you know you know that's basically <laughs> how they equate popularity and things like that at least the youngsters do so you know the corporations being multinational them celebrating something over there the word kind of gets in and you know it's it it seems rather easy how this 
has spread so so much in this country. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's, I mean, I, I've seen it in other places too, where they, uh, again, this was in the early nineties. I had gone to Brazil on a student exchange and I was in Sao Paulo, a pizza hut had just opened and there was a lineup for an hour. Like there was an hour wait to go to pizza hut because it was American. Um, so, I mean, I've seen that other places. One of the things you'd mentioned, and I don't want to tie it together with like when you mentioned the Hijra as well. So what you're talking about Indian students coming to the U S or, you know, even going to, you know, the UK um, or Canada going to, you know, like Ivy league schools or like, you know, good schools in those countries and getting exposed to this and bringing it back to India. Now that's one of the things I've been kind of seeing here is like this kind of outlook. I know like gender ideology and all that had been around since the late eighties, but when it really started getting a push and when it started coming into the administrations of the universities here, it was around the 2000s. So all the people that had studied in the nineties went back to the universities and worked in like the HR departments, the administration departments, like, you know, the, the counseling departments, and then they went into other places and it just slowly snowballed. So when some of these people from like, let's say a student from India came back from, you know, studying at Harvard, and they went into HR, they went into PR, they went into something. And then as they advanced in their careers, they just start hiring more and more people that thought the same. And so that it got like, it just, you know, snowballed. And I'm not saying this was any kind of conspiracy or anything like that. It was just, you're hiring like, the, you know, people who think like you. Yeah. Um, and the kind of people that they think, um, they think are like them are the people who like Western stuff. Western imported things, Western ideas, ideologies, everything. They think that somehow gives them a, a, a superiority among the masses. Oh, like you mentioned the hijras, and that's why I brought up the college thing. Like I, I would see it here. Now, my parents had told us, okay, my, so my family from Hyderabad, and it's a, we're in a Muslim background. And, you know, my dad had told us about hijras, but he was like, yes, there was some disparagement. But I mean, I, you know, like there's the Islam thing in there as well. Um, but mainly it was like, okay, you know, they have people in hospitals and they find out when someone has a kid and they'll go there and start playing music and then you give them money and they go away. And, you know, that's kind of how he explained it. I mean, like I said, he was disparaging because, okay, they're homosexuals or whatever, but he didn't concentrate on that. He concentrated on, you know, they beg for money, they do this, they do that. Like, and so that's how I'd gone to know them. And then, around 2014, 15, where you start hearing about the two-spirit in you know, North America because, oh, First Nations and Native Americans. And then they started talking about hijras. I'm like, that's not what they are, though. And so, I mean, if you wouldn't mind explaining what, like, hijra, because, I mean, even myself, you know, I grew up in Canada. i kind of foggy exactly on what, the, like, what it is. So, I mean, if you wouldn't mind explaining that. Sure. I mean, my exposure or my experience with uh, looking at somebody who, um, you know, dresses differently, uh, very clearly presents like, like presence feminine, but you can clearly tell that this person is male. So, so I grew up looking at those people and I was used to wonder, look at them in awe. And I would wonder why would anybody dress up? You know, why would anybody wear women's saris? Because as a child, I used to think, well, why would anyone willfully want to be a woman? Because it sucks to be a woman. You know, that's how I thought as a child in, in, in my country, in my little town. I used to think, like, you must really be mad 
to want to dress up like a woman because if you do then you're making yourself a source for you know cat calling and you know people men following you and all kinds of things so, but that was that was just my thought in the beginning and also my exposure to the existence of hijra um and of course in my state they're called different with different words each state has different names for it, but just a blanket term they use as hijra um over here in my city we speak tamil and unlike the hijras that you see in the north and in hyderabad as well they would go to marriages and childbirths and sing and bless bless the family bless the child so the child can grow up to be a fertile you know give birth to a lot of children and things like that um and sing and dance in weddings and things like that that it's not how it is over here they beg they prostitute themselves for the most part and this whole you know being part of a celebration during wedding thing is a very northern uh, northern india uh, reference so anyway most of the modern day or rather most of these men are either homosexual transsexuals where their families have found out that the boy is not masculine enough that he is somehow having effeminate qualities which is bringing shame to the family so the boy gets kicked out um so he goes and looks for some form of community somewhere and he comes to know that you know for people like him there's a community especially that will welcome him and keep him as their own and things like that so gullibly they just go and join these groups and of course as you probably know there is a hierarchy within the hijra community where you will be assigned to another hijra and you'll have to call that hijra your ma mother and for your entire life you've got to earn money and give your mother um, a certain sum of money uh, and only then will that relationship prevail and only then can you be part of that community so basically you're paying to be taken care of or giving that person some kind of uh, identity if you will so the only way they are able to make that money to give that guru or their ma is by prostituting themselves or by seeking arms now other than the whole homosexual transsexual which the homophobic parents can't stand and send them away there is also a category of men who are not homosexuals but are just you know looking not mm, conventionally male or conventionally masculine and there are families that are really poor and have many children sometimes there are groups of these people who go looking for vulnerable families like that and if they spot a little boy who looks a bit different they buy him from the family for a very small amount of money and they take him away and keep him for their business and the business is unfortunately prostitution again there are cases where these boys are hooked on to drugs like hashish and opium and things like that and because they are now hooked on to that drug they are forced to have re- uh, sexual relationships not sexual relationships they will be raped by men um and only only when they oblige will they be given that day's fix so they don't have a choice and these boys they are in a room when when they are you know taken away from their family and they spend their whole life in the room sometimes and they don't have any exposure to the outside world whatsoever now this is apart from you know the trafficking and uh, all of those things that we know about 
Indian girls. That's a different story altogether. This also happens to these boys. And most of the time, these boys are kidnapped or uh, bought off from the parents by these hijra mafias. And then there is this other category of people where they are homosexual and they are aware of it. And they don't want to be all this. They don't want to be a woman. But the only way that they can, in fact, have a relationship with a man is if they themselves turn into a woman, right? Because they look around them, there is no idols that they can rely upon to think that, well, it's okay for you to be a man and be in love with another man. There, there is no reference point for them. So these boys then think that the only way to go about this is by becoming a hijra. So they go and surgically alter themselves um, in order to be somebody who will then be desirable by men. Now, this procedure is extremely complicated as well. Um, see, the thing is, the hijra story is just so vast and so there's so much nuance in it. Sometimes it's very, very difficult to sort of summarize them, but I'm trying to do my best. But I want your audience to know that they should go ahead and, you know, find out more about it themselves, because I'm just trying to give you like the top points yeah. that I think. Yeah. No, no, that, that's, that's good. It's just like, I mean, some of this also is familiar in a certain sense, like Iran and Pakistan, where they'll, mm. you know, will pay for your surgery or you can get killed as a homosexual or a lesbian, you know, like, like yes. they, they have that as well. But getting back, like with the Hitcher thing, like I want to get back to the women's rights in India, because that's, I mean, you know, especially in the last little while, at least there's been a lot of coverage of, you know, rapes and things like that. But, <clears throat> you know, I've been, I've heard it from, family members and stuff too like you know it's not good for women in india you know you have to be careful you can't go outside and they're very careful about all that but like how i can understand a woman or a young girl like i mean we're having that in north america as well i think it's like a four thousand percent increase in the amount of girls that are transitioning now i can see that like you're saying in india where okay it's going to be shitty to be a girl so i might as well be a boy i can understand that like i don't i don't see the other way around but could you just talk about how bad like women's rights are and how this is, I mean, they've just overtaken the conversation about what needs to be spoken about. Like, I know you touched on it a little bit before. Yes. So they have done a fantastic job in catching hold of the young and vulnerable minds that are constantly seeking, you know, social capital in a, in a world where everything is public on their social media and their, ex their very existence is reliant upon the number of likes or shares that their picture gets uh, or, you know, anything that they stand for comes hurdling back to the number of friends they have on social media, the number of followers they have and things like that. Now, that's the world that the youngsters are living in. Mind you, this is still the urban population and our, uh, you know, urban-rural uh, ratio is you know rural is close to more than 70 percent and the urban is just under 30 percent right so whatever we see right now this whole desperation for wanting that social capital and everything is still a very urban um, middle class upper class educated part of the world that we're talking about even in that little demographic this has sort of uh, this capture has been successful in the sense that Everything has been imported, right? Right from Netflix, uh, right from Hollywood movies. You know, everything that the West is doing, we seem to be redoing that over here. So our 
you know, the, 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 cho- the choices of clothes that we wear in order to be popular is, you know, something that, uh, say, uh, uh, an American icon has worn and you are probably the first young girl in India who has gotten her hands in that particular designer wear and you post that on social media and suddenly you're like really famous. You know, that's basically how these girls think they can stand out of crowd. Now, I'm obviously talking about a small percentage of people here. Um, the fact that these girls are so vulnerable has worked in their favor because then slowly what they have done is they have started using feminism against them. How they've done that is they started calling all the things that favor men as feminism and they made these girls propagate it. I'll give you an example. In India, everybody thinks sex work is work. Now, majority of people cheerleading this and chanting this on and on are very young girls who have no idea no idea whatsoever uh, about a life that a poor woman that is trafficked from across the border is living in a four by four room having to deal with like eight or ten customers and you know get paid almost nothing and the pimp takes away most of it and these girls have no idea about what it is to live a life like that and yet these are the girls that are constantly championing no sex work is work you bigoted bitch how dare you take away the livelihood of that poor woman you know they get really uh, railed up about it now men have done a fantastic job in making this a feminist issue and having these little girls young women shooting themselves on their feet by you know claiming that all these things are similarly the gender ideology has entered in the exact same way um, they have now made porn to be empowering so when when you say wow porn is horrible because women there don't look like they have any any say in what is being done to them now girls are like no 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 that's all you know the olden times now porn is empowering there is feminist porn now women get to say how uh, and who they can have sex with now why are you doing this why are you going against it do you not want to have do you not want women to have their own sexuality and have their own desires so it sort of goes away in a different tangent where they make you the culprit for saying you know be careful these are all things that are imported and put into your head by men because it serves them well that you champion it for their on their behalf so trans women or women is my next example where they think that you know if if you let them do the job for you it will be like oh you are you uh, women don't have unity amongst themselves here is a branch of feminism that thinks trans women are women and then there is this other branch of feminists who think trans women are not women. See, women don't have any unity at all. Therefore, feminism sucks. And in the meantime, while we are having this fight, public fight, the men are continuing to hire hookers. And the men are continuing to you know, make young girls remove their breasts and have their uterus removed and things like that. All that is going on in the background while they pit women against each other. So the entire scheme of gender ideology has been about divide and rule, where they cause such rifts between women so that it makes it impossible for a woman to believe another woman when she says, hey, watch out, that's not good for us. That's been the biggest success of this movement. Um, Back in the day when we were fighting for, say, I don't know, right to vote, right to work, the agenda seemed very simple. You know, men were standing in the way of women 
uh, and not letting them go to work and earn a living and be independent because it threatens them. Right? It threatens their position as the house's, uh, you know, what is it, breadwinner and things like that. But women were clearly aware that men were the problem. Even though in that movement as well, there were several women who think, who thought that, well, come on, women's job is to, you know, have children and stay at home and things like that. But there were, they still went ahead as one unit. And, you know, now our, our priorities seem to be so random, you know, and there are so many new problems to touch upon. Now, within the gender movement, if you think about it, there is a trans rights activism that is fighting for trans people, apparently. Now, within India, there are non-binary people that are fighting for non-binary people's in, uh, rights, apparently. And then there are all these other new pronoun nonsense and this and that. So what they have done successfully is to take our focus away from the things that matter and keep feeding us with all this filth in a way that you're constantly trying to figure out, is this what I want to do? Is this what I want to do? But the only difference is when these girls are you know, championing the trans rights and everything, it's a very cult-like approach. When they say trans women are women, an entire group of people are giving them so much love. And that bodes well for them because then they want that love. They want to be celebrated. They want to be the person who is very special and things like that. So it's a very cult-like mentality as well. Um, so it does seem to make sense to me, um, even though I, I, I mean, I, I'm somehow grateful that I didn't fall into the whole cesspool of things, or at least I did. And then I eventually just came away from it. I suppose what I'm saying is it makes sense to me that they picked a country like India because we are, we are massive and there is so much potential for creating ambiguity because our law is confused because our law does not have two different words in, for sex and gender. So it is easy to manipulate um, the law and most of the people working as editorial heads, most of the people that are working as um, you know, corporation CEOs are all you know, members who studied abroad. So they come back here and they do the same thing because that's what will give them all the attention in the, in the, in the, in the world's stadium, not necessarily in India. So one of the things you mentioned just now, like, so I mean, in North America, since about the late 80s, they were saying, okay, you know what? You don't have to have these gender-defined roles. Like, you know, a boy can like to cook, a girl can play with trucks, you know, vice, you know, like all these things. Like, but now with this, with the gender ideology, you know, oh, my, my daughter cut her hair really short. So I know, I knew she was a boy. I mean, I've seen that written. And it's, so they're reaffirming those strong gender stereotypes which like you mentioned, they're still, you know, they're still very active in India, like more so than North America, but isn't anyone questioning that? Like, why are you, you know, I, I understand. And like, you know, I, I get like the fact that if it's an effeminate boy, then okay, homosexual or whatever, they're having that thing. But why, instead of getting away from the stereotypes, are they trying to reinforce them even more? Like, like again, what you were mentioning, like, I don't see how that helps women. I don't see, actually, I don't see how that helps anyone, but <laughs> Yeah, I don't see how it helps anyone either. And definitely, it doesn't help women and girls. But I don't know why they can't see it. But my hope is that they will eventually. Because when I, I come from a very rigid, um, you know, sort of a family that was strict about a girl's role and a boy's role. And 
I obviously had fewer privileges when it comes to say staying out late or playing with or rather who I can play with or who I shouldn't play with at all um, and what clothes I can wear when I go outside um, sort of restrictions that say my brother did not have um, I we we are living in a society like that now when for me coming from that kind of a mold to liberal feminism which said no dress however you please you know you know there 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 is nothing bad about being a girl and wanting to be a scientist you know sort of the generic superficial things like that and i found liberal feminism to be like wow the meaning of the purpose of my life you know like i i saw that and the kind of things that they they were advocating for i was thinking well everything is a choice i mean if you want to do it it's your choice to do it and i mean at the face of it it just sounds like the superb Uh, cult invitation right where you, you look at it and then it's like um it's like um watching a trailer of a film and you're so desperate for the film to release because the trailer is just so enticing so uh, liberal feminism is kind of like that at the face of it they will like come in come in join us you know here everything goes like you can be whoever you want you know you can be a boy you can be a girl you can do sex work you can do porn everything is fine you can wear whatever uh, uh, religious indoctrination even if it is oppressing you you can go ahead and do that everything is a choice and you can't question anything at all because if you do then that goes that hurts somebody's feelings now that's when i started thinking because i was like well if you're questioning patriarchy and if you're questioning male supremacy you ought to be able to question male supremacy that affects some women even if you're not that woman so for example when these people are constantly saying sex work is work you should allow uh, prostitutes to decide for themselves and i was thinking well no because those women many of those women do not have the agency and they have been trafficked into this business and um i don't think it's fair to say that it's her choice so when i started saying all of these things um i'm sorry this is my my dog's walking time so um so when i started saying all these things these people did not want me to be part of liberal feminist groups anymore and they, i got kicked out and that's when i started thinking about it and started thinking within liberal feminism how can you question prostitution and things like that random searches and some um intellectual friends who had already seen the light conversations with them you know things like that then that brought me to radical feminism and i started questioning this whole gender roles and the challenges of uh, prostitution and all of those things but what i'm trying to say is for a young girl to call herself feminist or um it's so easy because liberal feminism is like that it's like ice cream everybody loves it you know why would you say no to having a piece of ice cream it's like that so it makes sense to me that indians especially educated indians who have access to social media uh the english speaking ones they look at what's happening in the west and they talk about uh, you know this whole lean in book sheryl sandberg wrote uh, facebook ceo whatever many years ago that became a huge hit in india and she's talking about you know how women should aspire to earn as much as men and things like that and here women start talking about it but then like okay equal pay is important but let's just rewind a little bit because that's us that, they, that she's talking about us economy she's talking about we're not there yet but they were not interested in that so what i'm trying to say is it's easy 
to look at some other country um, and talk about the things that they are already talking about. And if you talk about it over here, you become somewhat of a, of a what's the word? Of a special one, you know, you, oh, she knows everything that's happening in the US politics. You must be really uh, intellectual or something. You know, that's, that's the thing with the young, um, the youth group, whatever, right now that, you know, you say anything that the West is doing, somehow you're special. Now, in, in, my, in my previous uh, rant, I was mentioning how all this is still a very urban phenomenon and in that just an urban phenomenon that is properly middle class, upper class and has very good education and things like that. In the same way these people are saying, you know, trans women are women, sex work is work, um, female genital mutilation is wrong, chest binding is wrong in Africa, we must condemn it, whatever, whatever. These are the same people that also talk to you about which chest binder to buy when you're aspiring to be a trans man. These are the same people that question FGM are the same people who are saying which endocrinologist you can go to to get yourself a, a double mastectomy and a hysterectomy. How can you get a new penis? So the dichotomy and the hypocrisy within the movement is just so crystal clear to me. My hope is that the people that are engrossed in it right now will slowly start questioning it at some point. That's why I think people like me, despite all the abuses and vitriol that I get online, I just hope that, you know, it's like punching in the air. I just keep doing this, hoping that somebody would see some sense in this and realize by themselves, this is no propaganda because that's what they do. I don't want to do that. I'm just questioning everything all the time. Uh, hoping that, you know, they'll be able to see the problem within the liberal feminist movement, how basically it's a male's, male's rights activism, uh, the liberal feminist movement is. And, you know, uh, they can switch to things that actually matter for women and girls, not only women and girls from their horizontal economic background alone, but, you know, all the way top and bottom of the pyramid. Like you'd mentioned, it's like a cult and what you're talking about there, like they're only looking after the people on the horizontal and they're not going up and down. Now in the North America, it's, it's been happening since I, I'd say it's, it's like the mid nineties where college educated people really started looking down on the working class. So, mm. and it almost came about as, Oh, we're your intellectual superiors. Listen to us. We're going to explain it to you lowly people. Mm. So now, is there some aspect of that in India with this? Like, it's like, I mean, they're already, you already had like, oh, they're just servants. And, you know, like I'd see my family, how they treat, you know, if they would treat their servants and things like that. And if you go out to the countryside, you know, if you own any kind of land in the countryside, all of a sudden, like, you know, you've got some special power in that community. And I, I saw how they treated them. And so, yeah. but it, it, does that play some part in it? Like they're the superiority because we're richer, we're more educated. You're just uneducated fools and things like that. Or, yeah, definitely that kind of a superiority complex is there because they are the ones that are sitting in the positions that disperse information to the common man or common woman, right? So, for example, you know, it's a leading newspaper and the person who runs it is an upper class, upper caste man. And there have been a lot of criticism about how it is very how in maybe North America, you'd say how it's very white. Here, they say that it is very Brahminical. 
because of the class system that we also have to deal with aside from all the existing problems. There is the religious divides, there is regional divides, and there is caste-based caste-based divide as well. Caste is obviously the social stratification that has been uh, sort of in existence for centuries. And even though many such acts have been deemed unconstitutional, like you can't, you can't um, discriminate somebody on the basis of their caste. And there's a lot of this affirmative actions that have come to place, which sort of en enables people from, say, the marginalized caste to sort of, say, get free education and things like that. Things have been happening in, in, the, in, the, in the sort of fringes. But predominantly, the ruling class is obviously the upper class, upper caste male members. Um, the whole looking down upon the people that are, say, the village idiots, if you will, like, look at me, watch me. I, I know every, I know everything. I'm the know-it-all. Watch me speak and learn from me. That superiority is definitely there. But what has also happened is the whole gender ideology has come out, somehow intertwined itself with a lot of civil rights issues that the country has. I'll give you an example. Now, one would think that caste-based discrimination is something that needs to be taken very, very seriously, right? Now, there are, um, there are Dalit women who are raped purely because they're Dalit, you know? Um, they, men go looking for Dalit women and in order to punish them and to show their superiority, they go looking for Dalit women and they rape them, they burn them, they cause all kinds of harms on them. There are Dalit men who live in certain parts of uh, rural India where if they go through a certain street, he has to take his footwear and put it on his head and walk through that city. He, he is such a lower caste that he can't wear footwear on his feet and walk in that would be disrespectful for the other people who are of the upper caste. So this is the situation even in, even in 2022 in India, right? What has happened, unfortunately, is instead of taking precedence, the whole gender ideology aligned itself with the anti-caste movement. Now, anti-caste movement is also pro-gender identity and pro-trans rights activism because trans rights activism has cunningly made their issue to be a caste-based issue. You get it? Like how you have trans lives, uh, sorry, Black Lives Matter and then later on branched out to Black Trans Lives Matter. Yeah. Similarly, over here, we have, of course, Dalit Lives Matter. And now there are Dalit Trans Lives Matter as well. You see, the import is sort of uncanny. Yeah. Um, so, so because they have sort of aligned themselves with some other sort of social oppression or social whatever, when you question it in isolation, now I am anti-caste, I'm dead anti-caste. I am born in a caste that is, uh, you know, upper whatever, but it's not, it's not my choice, but I live with that privilege till I die, right? If I call out a trans um, propaganda, now I'm automatically somebody who's also pro-caste. Now that's how they have started painting it. They have made it a caste issue uh, that in a way that you can't question one thing without them assuming that you are dead against all the other forms of oppression this country is facing. I mean, okay, like the, the whole caste system and the way India you know, divides everyone over. So you have, okay, you have intersectionality through feminism but also the gender ideology had its own form of intersectionality, whereas like Kimberly Crenshaw's was how you were oppressed, whereas the gender one was how you oppress other people, right? Like the way, I mean, it, 
like that intersectional framework seems to fit very well with how India had everything divided. And it just, it seems to like mesh right, you know, it, it, it's kind of seamlessly sitting into it. Look, I don't yeah. want to keep you too, too much longer. Um, but if you no, I just want to point out that, I just want to point out that Crenshaw's intersectionality is right now no longer serving its purpose because she too believes trans women are women. So when mm -hmm. she says we need to be intersectional, she's talking about including men in women's yeah, spaces yeah. as well. Yeah. So. But yeah, I mean, I, I, like when she wrote her paper mapping the margins, I was saying, you know, she didn't map the margins. She gerrymandered no. them. You know, like she, she, she completely blurred them all together. There's no mapping. Exactly. No, I was going to say, I just, you know, I don't want to keep it too, too much longer, but if you want to let people know where they can get a hold of you, where they can find your uh, documentaries, I'll put all the links in the description. So please go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm uh, on all social media as Vaishax, V-A-I-S-H-A-X. Um, and that's where I'll mostly be talking about anything that I'm doing, my writing, my films and everything. My company, uh, under which I make all my films is called Lime Soda Films. My guess is it's the only one in that name. So if you look it up, it'll easily show up uh, on your little Google search. Um, but I just want to sort of beseech your audience to, you know, go ahead and do a little bit more research based on their interests and things like that, because this is not a topic that can be had in like one small conversation. Yeah. It's something that we need to keep on talking about and things like that, but it's a good place to sort of, sort of lay the seeds of foundation or whatever. Um, most of the stuff that I write about gender ideologies, infiltration in India is also there on my website. We founded this e-sign to constantly talk about this recently. The latest news about the gender ideology takeover is uh, a company, uh, an internet company, has given period leave to women and trans women. <laughs> Go figure out how that works. This company doesn't even understand that okay, you want to you wanna be inclusive and woke and get all your woke points and everything, but you want to give period leave to men yeah. Essentially, that's what you're saying. And this is the same country that have, you know, uh, period poverty where so many girls drop out of schools and so many girls don't even have sanitary pads and many of them die because of urinary tract infection because the families don't want them inside the house. They're put away in isolation, rain or shine, you know. This is the same country. And these um, corporation uh, arrogant entitled jerks have the audacity to provide periodly for men. That's where we're at right now. So yeah. more of this and many such rants will be available on my website, <laughs> Vaishnavisandar.com. So you can go ahead. And yeah. Well, I just want like, I'll just mention one thing, like the American Medical Association, you know, wouldn't say the word woman. They would say like birthing parent or a yeah, exactly. vulva haver. I'm like, okay, if the American Medical Association is denying biology, why should I listen to them about the COVID vaccine? I'm like, you've lost, you're like, if you're denying basic biology, why should I, I okay, I, I'm not ranting against the vaccine. I've got, you know, my, I've been vaccinated, all that, but I'm just saying, like, well, that's a touchy subject, isn't it? I'm vaccinated yeah, too, and yeah. I'm not for um, mandates yeah. of any other. No, but, but I, 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 I wasn't talking about mandates or anything. I was just wearing, like, I mean, when you're the American Medical Association, you're denying biology. Why should anyone listen to you on anything else? And it just like, you know, like, you know, I appreciate the suspicion people have. Yeah, yeah definitely. You, I know, appreciate. you know, like, that's, that's what I'm getting at. But, anyways, thank you very much for coming on. It was great talking to you. And uh, yeah, everyone, please give Vishnavi uh, <laughs> a follow. And yeah, like I said, thank you again very much for coming on.
Thank you. Thank you for having me. Right. And thanks everyone for listening.